Principle 3 God takes pleasure in people's conversion and salvation, but not in their death or damnation. He would rather have them return and live than continue in their ways and die. The Apostle Peter says that the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 He sincerely desires the conversion of all people. He does not, though, act as absolute Lord as to use the fullest extent of His power to accomplish this, nor as something that He resolves will undoubtedly come to pass, or would take all His power to accomplish. A prince has the power to assign a guard to a murderer, to see that he will not murder and be hanged. However, if he does not do so for a good reason, and simply sends messengers to his subjects to warn them and plead with them not to be murderers, he may well say that he does not want them to murder and be hanged. He takes no pleasure in it, but rather desires them not to murder and to live. If he does happen to do more for some people for some special reason, he is not obligated to do the same for all. The king may well say to all murderers and felons in the land, I have no pleasure in your death, but rather that you would obey my laws and live. But if you will not, I am resolved for all this that you will die. The judge may truly say to the murderer, Alas, I have no delight in your death. I wish you would have kept the law and saved your life, but since you have not, I must condemn you or else I would be unjust. Although God has no pleasure in your damnation, and therefore calls upon you to return and live, yet he has pleasure in the demonstration of his own justice and the execution of his laws. Therefore he is fully resolved that if you will not be converted, you will be condemned. If God were so much against the death of the wicked that he were resolved to do all that he can to prevent it, then no one would be condemned. Yet Christ tells you that narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Matthew 7 verse 14 God is so much opposed to your damnation that He will teach you, warn you, set before you life and death. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 Offer you your choice, and command His ministers to plead with you not to destroy yourselves, but to accept His mercy and so to leave you without excuse. But if this will not do, and if you still remain unconverted, he declares to you that he is resolved on your damnation, and has commanded us to say to you in his name, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. Ezekiel 33 verse 8 Christ has basically guaranteed over and over with a verily verily that unless you are converted and born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, verse 3. John 3, verse 3. Notice that he says, you cannot. It is in vain to hope for it, and in vain to dream that God is willing for it, for it is something that cannot be. You see the meaning of the text, that God, the great lawgiver of the world, takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn and live, even though he is still resolved that none will live except those who turn. As a judge, he always delights in justice, and in manifesting his hatred of sin, although considered in itself, 
He does not delight in the misery that sinners have brought upon themselves. I will be brief in providing proof of this, for I suppose you easily believe it already. First, the very gracious nature of God proclaimed this truth. Scripture, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, verses 6-7 through This and many other passages may assure you that God has no pleasure in your death. Second, if God had more pleasure in your death than in your conversion and life, He would not have so often commanded you in His word to turn. He would not have made you such promises of life for all who will simply turn. He would not have given so many reasons in trying to convince you to turn. The theme of His gospel proves the point. Third, His command and instruction that He has given to the ministers of the gospel fully prove it. If God had taken more pleasure in your damnation than in your conversion and salvation, He would never have told us to offer you mercy and to teach you the way of life, both publicly and privately. He would never have commanded us to beg you and plead with you to turn and live. He would not have instructed us to acquaint you with your sins and forewarn you of your danger. He would not have told us to do all that we possibly can for your conversion and to continue patiently in doing so, even though you would hate or abuse us for our efforts. Would God have done this and appointed His ordinances for your good if He had taken pleasure in your death? Fourth, it is proved also by the course of His providence. If God would rather have you damned than converted and saved, He would not second His word with His works and allure you to Himself by His daily kindness. He would not give you all the mercies of this life, which are means to lead you to repentance. Romans 2, verse 4. He would not bring you so often under His rod in order to bring you to your senses. He would not set so many examples before your eyes, nor wait on you as patiently as He does from day to day and year to year. These are not signs of one who takes pleasure in your death. If this had been His delight, He could have easily had you in hell long ago. He could have often cut you down in the midst of your sins while you had a curse or lie in your mouth, and when you were in your ignorance, pride, and carnality, when you were in your most recent drunkenness, or when you were lately mocking the ways of God, how easily He could have stopped your breath, restrained you with His afflictions, and made you comfortless in another world. How small a matter it is for the Almighty to silence the tongue of the most profane scorner, to tie the hands of the most malicious persecutor, or to calm the fury of the bitterest of His enemies and make them know that they are only worms. If He would merely frown upon you, you would drop into your grave. If He gave a command to one of His angels to go and destroy ten thousand sinners, how quickly it would be done! How easily He can lay you upon the bed of sickness, make you lie there, groaning in pain, make you eat the words of reproach that you have spoken against His servants, 
His word, His worship, and His holy ways, and make you beg the prayers of those whom you despised in your presumption. How easily He can bring pain and groaning to your body and make it too weak to hold your soul, making it more loathsome than the dung of the earth. That flesh that now must have what it loves and must not be displeased even if God is displeased, that flesh that must be indulged in food, drink, and clothing no matter what God says to the contrary, how quickly the displeasure of God could consume it. When you were passionately defending your sin and quarreling with those who desired to draw you from it, when you were showing your anger against the reprover and pleading for the works of darkness, how easily God could have taken you away in a moment and set you before Him in His fearsome majesty where you would see ten thousand times ten thousand glorious angels waiting upon his throne. He could have called you there to plead your case, and could have asked you, What do you now have to say against your Creator, His truth, His servants, or His holy ways? Plead your case now, and make the best of it that you can. What can you now say in excuse of your sins? Give an account now of your worldliness and carnal life, of your time, and of all the mercies you have had. Oh, how your stubborn heart would have melted! Your proud look would have fled away, your countenance would have been terrified, and your tough words would have turned into speechless silence or dreadful cries if God had simply brought you before His judgment seat and pleaded His own case with you that you have here so maliciously pleaded against. How easily he can say at any time to your guilty soul, Come away, and live in that flesh no more until the resurrection. And it cannot resist. One word from his mouth would destroy the poise of your present life, and then all your abilities and powers would stand still. If he would say to you, Live no longer, or live in hell, you could not disobey. However, God has not yet done any of this but has patiently tolerated you, has mercifully upheld you, and has given you that breath that you breathed out against him. He has given you those mercies that you sacrificed to your flesh, and he has granted you that provision that you used to satisfy your greedy throat. He gave you every minute of that time that you wasted in idleness, drunkenness, or worldliness. Does not all his patience and mercy show that he did not desire your damnation? Could the candle burn without the oil? Can your houses stand without the earth to bear them? No, and you cannot live an hour without the support of God. Why did he support your life so long, except to see when you would consider the folly of your ways and return and live? Will any man purposely put weapons into his enemy's hands so the enemy can resist him, or hold a light for a murderer who is killing his children? Certainly God has waited so long for you in order to see whether you will at last turn and live. Fifth, it is further proved by the sufferings of his Son that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Would he have ransomed them from death at such an exorbitant cost? Would he have astonished angels and men by lowering himself to come down to us? Would God have dwelt in flesh, come in the form of a servant, 
and assumed humanity into one person with the Godhead? Would Christ have lived a life of suffering and died a cursed death for sinners if he would have rather had taken pleasure in their death? Suppose you saw him as busy in preaching and healing of the people as you find him in Mark 3, verses 20 through 21, or as long in fasting as in Matthew 4, verse 2, or all night in prayer as in Luke 6, verse 12, or praying with drops of blood trickling from him instead of sweat as in Luke 22, verse 44, or suffering a cursed death upon the cross and pouring out his soul as a sacrifice for our sins. Would you have thought that these were the actions and signs of one who delighted in the death of the wicked? Do not think to explain it away by saying that it was only for his elect, for it was your sin and the sin of all the world that lay upon our Redeemer, and his sacrifice and satisfaction is sufficient for all. The fruits of it are offered to one as well as another. It is true, though, that it was never the intent of his mind to pardon and save any who would not, by faith and repentance, be converted. Would you have thought that he delighted in the death of the wicked, even of those who perished by their deliberate unbelief, if you had seen and heard him weeping and grieving over the state of disobedience in unrepentant people? Scripture And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Luke 19, verses 41 through 42. Would you have thought that he delighted in the death of the wicked if you had heard him lamenting their stubbornness? Scripture O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Matthew 23, verse 37. What if you had seen and heard him on the cross praying for his persecutors? Scripture Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, verse 34 When God so loved the world, not only loved, but so loved, as to give his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him by a living faith should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, verse 16. I think he proved by that against the resentment of men and demons that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desires rather that they would turn and live. Sixth, if all this does not yet satisfy you, take his own word that he knows his own mind best, or at least believe his promise. This leads me to the fourth principle. 